You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Stephen Ewell is an artist who does covers for science fiction and fantasy novels. Thank you for joining me, Stephen. Oh, it's my pleasure, yeah. Stephen, I, I'd like to ask, were you one of those kids who was artistic kind of from, like, the get-go? Um, you know, I was a very inquisitive kid. I can't say that I was, you know, really good when I was a kid. I almost can't remember that far back, but I do remember always being fascinated with creating things, you know, like models, painting up model airplane kits, making things out of plasticine. You know, I, I would watch some television show, and I would love, and it was always to do with science fiction. I always seemed to be very fascinated in that genre. But I would see, you know, a show, and there might be a spaceship on it, and I would try to attempt to copy it in plasticine. So as long as I can remember, I have been pretty creative. But in terms of drawing and doodling, uh, I didn't really start doing that until I was, you know, into my teens. Now, you know, I wasn't a three-year-old kid who was, uh, you know, painting the Sistine Chapel or whatever. You know, I know there's guys who popped out of the womb with crayons in their hand and were, you know, speculating what the future looked like, but I wasn't one of them. Um, uh, when you were in your teens, as you were growing up, were you a fan of comic books? Did you read oh, yeah. comic books? Yeah, no, that was actually one of my biggest influences. I read a lot of the... I mean, these are all British comic books since I, you know, come from England. Um, I wasn't really a fan of a lot of American superhero comic books like Superman until, you know, a little later on, but mostly British comic books was uh, a big influence on me. Well, what sort of comic books are those, and how are those different from American comic books? Uh, they, they seem to be... Uh, British comic books had much more grittiness to them back then, 2000 AD, Judge Dredd, um, you know, pretty much those comic books. I, I like the whole bunch of World War II comic books. I can't remember the name of them now, but uh, Sergeant Rock who was just an American character, but they, they got them in England. And I think they were featured in a couple of British uh, comic books over there at the time. And I was really interested in, in those types of things as well. But anything sort of which had a much more gritty edge. I always found superheroes to be a little bit too clean-cut in those spandex outfits. They almost seemed a little bit too fanciful for me and, you know, Under, underwear sort of like, perverts. It sort of turned me off, to tell you the <laughs> truth. You know, admiring a guy in a, in a suit, you know, with underpants on the outside. I must admit, it was just never my thing <laughs> to really go down that road. I really, you know, I like guys who were kicking ass and tearing up, you know, mutants of the future or whatever. Had big blasters and shut the hell out of everyone. Who knows, maybe that was my violent rage when I was a child or whatever, even though I don't remember ever being violent. But uh, I sort of uh, went more for that kind of comic book than the you know, guys flying around with capes on. Could you tell me, when, when you were a teenager, did you try to draw comic books yourself? No, you know, I didn't. I, I really didn't have that kind of ability to draw that kind of thing. I've always admired those guys who can and it's always frustrated me that I never could do that, but it was just, it's something that I was not born with, the ability to just render, you know, human figures in any, you know, imaginable position. And that, though I've never even really tried, I must admit, I kind of am a little bit lazy when it comes to drawing that kind of thing. Maybe it's because I'm just not interested in it as well. Uh, I sort of more, uh, my appeal is more for rendering vehicles, you know, you know, costumes, cities, environments. But I'm ne I was never really interested in rendering, you know, comic book characters. You talked uh, about doing uh, art when you were a teenager. What kind of art did you do? Oh, uh, you know, just any, anything I did. Anything that was to do with painting, things that I saw. I used to actually love painting natural history subjects. Um, you know, insects, animals, landscapes trees, all sorts of stuff like that. But I also enjoyed um, painting cars, motorcycles. And I had a school teacher who was really a big influence on me. Not that he t 
actually taught me anything practical because he really didn't. He was more into pottery. And, but the one thing that he did uh, love was science fiction, and we shared that kind of love together. And we would you know, discuss science fiction movies, and then he would bring in art books from different artists of the, you know, the time period when I was a kid, like Bruce Pennington, Giga, Chris Foss, uh, you know, a few, some of those guys, and I would kind of copy their art when I was in class. I mean, this was about when I was maybe 13, 12, 13 years old, something like that. I mean, I certainly didn't have any kind of real ability to do anything myself from my own imagination, because I don't even think it was really that developed at the time. And he, he had told me the old masters had trained their students in a similar fashion, though he wasn't really a painter, so he didn't have anything for me to copy, but he'd give me these books and said, you know, why don't you try rendering some of their work, and then you'll get a feel for the materials, and, you know, and it might inspire you to develop your own thoughts and imagination. Uh, and it was good advice, actually. It really was. What kind of uh, science fiction were you reading as a 13-year-old? Oh, I, uh, Heinlein, uh, Asimov, uh, Frank Herbert, you know, anything at the time. I mean, one of my biggest influences when I was a kid for, in terms of science fiction uh, was from my older brother, Graham, who absolutely loved Tolkien. And he would just read that book over and over again, along with numerous other science fiction books. And, and that was where I mostly became aware of the covers. So, uh, you know, I read the books as well. My, I really remember a whole series of Michael Moorcock books Elric. when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and some other books as well that he'd written, mm -hmm. City of the Beast, Lord of the Spiders. And, and I just fell in love with that whole genre of... Uh, this is when I got, became more aware of characters and environments because he extensively wrote about, you know, a spider city or something. And, you, and the artist at the time who had illustrated the book uh, was Tim White, who was really one of my idols growing up. And I, I loved this cover, and I, it, I still regard it as one of the most successful covers ever created for a book jacket. And I guess that, that was, like, one of my biggest influences to get into this field. You know, you know people see things in, in certain ways, and, and it inspires them to want to, you know, do that. And that was, I guess, one of the major points in my life that set me on the course to what I became today, was that literally that one cover. So I sort of owe a lot to him. When, when you got out of high school, did you go to secondary school with the idea of becoming an artist? or where? Well, what? well there isn't actually anything called high school in England. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have a structure like we have over here, but secondary school, yeah, was... Uh, was from, I guess, 10 years old up until leaving school, which was 16. I mean, we get out of school a lot earlier than kids over here do. And um, that actually is called secondary school. But I studied art, uh, which was one of my favorite subjects, more uh, extensively from being 14 to 16, so, you know, just a couple of years. And when you got out of uh, secondary school, did you pursue further education, or did you just yeah. plunge into the marketplace? No, no, no. No, I wasn't anywhere near good enough to uh, join the professional marketplace at that time, 16. My, my school teacher, who was uh, one of my you know, great influences and you know, setting me on the course of being an artist, really encouraged me to go to art college. Now, I mean, I was so naive at the time. I didn't even know what that was. I mean, I, you've got to understand, I come from a little tiny pit village in England, a Colry village, sorry. And, you know, going to art college was just so alien to me, almost as alien as, you know, becoming a science fiction illustrator. I mean, I just knew that I loved to create. I loved to paint, and I loved to uh, create uh, these science fiction covers, which I actually did in his class. But I was mostly copying off other illustrators, you know, who were 20 years older than me. Uh, but he did encourage me to go to art college, which I did. I took uh, two years in in one college, and then I took another couple of years at a university uh, near to where I lived. And, you know, and I came out with a degree in illustration, which was primarily advertising illustration and technical illustration and natural history illustration, which they called visual information design at the time, though it sounds a little bit strange to me that, but, you know, that's what the, the degree was in. And that sort of grounded me in 
a lot of drawing skills to deal with technical perspectives, uh, cutaways. You know, I was doing things like cutaways of cars, engines, you know, you name it. But I was also doing a lot of uh, natural history subject uh, matter as well, painting animals and landscapes, trees, flowers, that kind of thing. So I got really quite a broad range of, uh, of subjects to actually render. Uh, but nothing, none of it was science fiction, which really frustrated me for the entire four years I was there. Cause, you know, you just don't get a class in England where it says, oh, we're going to do a science fiction book cover this week. <laughs> not like they do over here. I mean, I find it amazing how you can actually go to school to study science fiction. I'm not even sure how you can do that, but hell, they do it. Uh-huh. SVA has a program where there's a science fiction class, and there's a, a guy who teaches them who does science fiction art, and... Uh, you know, hey, if it works, I guess, uh, you know, I've never sat in the class to see what it's like or actually gone to a class like that, but uh, I find it a little strange how you can study science fiction. I actually but, took a course from uh, Gregory Benford, noted science fiction writer, when I was at UC Irvine in mm-hmm, science yeah, fiction. Yeah, I've actually illustrated a Gregory Benford cover. Which one? Uh, boy, I, you know, I can't remember. I can't. I've done so many covers. There's only a few writers I actually can recall. Usually it's the last... And something like that, <laughs> or some of my favorites. Well, it, it yeah. sounds like the though. I think I did uh, the race to Mars with Gregory Benford. Now it I sound, hope I got it right. <laughs> uh, now it sounds as though, even though you weren't uh, painting science fiction subjects, it sounds like the 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 skills you acquired in, in uh, your uh, university uh, were really helpful. We, I can see, you know, your skill with figures, your skill with. Uh, the, the cars and vehicles, all that stuff feeds into the science fiction covers. But you got out of school. Where, what did you do next? Uh, well, once I had left university, I had no portfolio to speak of with artwork that would get me into the genre at all. I mean, I had technical illustration, natural history illustration. Uh, you know, but I, you can't send that to an art director and say, hey, give me a spaceship, because, look, I can draw a drill. You know, it just doesn't work that way. That you need to prove yourself that you can compete, you know, in the marketplace with the professionals that are already established. I mean, and that's, that's pretty tough, because when I came out, there were some really good professionals who were working in this field, the competition. But it's always tough. The competition's always tough. So I spent another year putting together a new portfolio of science fiction art. And what I did to do that was I just went to the bookstore, picked out randomly a whole bunch of books, and I read them, and I put covers on that I thought would make a good cover for that book. I ripped the cover off and pay no attention to it, and then redid it as if I was the illustrator hired to do the job. And then I went to London and tried to get into an artist agency where I knew a bunch of science fiction artists already were represented there and uh, had absolutely no look whatsoever because they, they still didn't think uh, I was actually good enough. Uh, I think I was about 20. Boy, that's interesting. at the time. You knew from, from, since you were 13 that, that you were going to be doing science fiction book covers. That's really early. To, and, and also your, you know... Uh, Single-mindedness in accomplishing this that at, at such a young age, I mean, m- many people who are 20, you know, can barely tie their shoes, it seems. Yeah, you know, I, I guess maybe it's because they instill a sense of, uh, I'm not sure what the word is for this, but fear into you that you've got to make a living and you really have to be steadfast in what you want to be at an early age, else you're just going to be floundering around on the dole, and you'll have no life. I, I, maybe it's my older brothers instilled that into me. I know I had an older brother who was very ambitious to become a rock singer and who, loved, who was very encouraging about us liking science fiction and doing science fiction art. I mean, you, but you've got to understand, the one thing that I loved before being an artist was science fiction. I mean, and that was the key to me wanting to, you know, create it. I actually, I mean, it could have gone a different way. I could have been you know, the kid of a different family who was a filmmaker, and I might have ended up being a director. That, I had such a goal of just getting into the field and wanting to be part of the field that, uh, you know, it could have gone that way as well. But as it is, you know, our family was very poor, and the encouragement that I got and influences were from a brother that read science fiction. So 
my influences were looking at those covers and sort of been drawn towards creating them as well. Um, but I, I love science fiction first. And that's how I actually really was on this straight path to it from very young. I mean, it actually even goes back to being much younger than 13. I mean, I, as far as I can remember, I've always been drawn towards that genre, uh, whether it was, you know, horror or science fiction. I mean, hell, I remember one of my favorite movies as a little kid was uh, Forbidden Planet. Uh, and I loved the robot in there, Robbie the Robot. And I, I always wanted to draw. I actually created a Robbie the Robot out of plasticine when I was about five, something like that. And, you know, but from then on, it was, you could actually say I was really steadfast in becoming something in science fiction from being a tiny kid. So maybe that's, that's even more impressive. I mean, it doesn't seem to me, at the, or, you know, right now, but uh, I guess from somebody who looks at my life from the outside might, could think that. Well, you tried to sign on with this agency, and that didn't work out. How did you, what did you do next? Well, you know, you go to an agency, and you've got to remember that they're, they're looking for, for talent. And it's also a, a, a strange thing for me to say, but a lot of agencies can be threatened also by new talent because they kind of get an obligation to the artists that they're with. And some artists can actually leave that agency if you take a new guy on, because then they're threatened by the new guy coming in. And, you know, and this actually happened to, at one place. I've, you know, I'm not going to mention names, but one of the main illustrators of this agency had threatened to leave if this big agency in London took us on. Now, this one agency actually did like us. I mean, we went through a whole bunch, but one agency really liked us a lot. And... Um, really uh, gave us our first main uh, break in terms of advice. Because even though they didn't take us on, they advised, advised us to go back home, you know, work on our work a little bit more, and then they advised us to go to the World Science Fiction Convention, which was being held in Brighton at the time in 1987. I didn't even know what a World Science Fiction Convention was. I was completely clueless. But you know, we, we investigated it and found out, you know, it was an exhibition of science fiction artists and authors and publishers who went to this huge sort of convention. And uh, we did some more work. I guess we weren't, as, we weren't good enough still at the time, even though we'd worked for a year on, you know, our art. It's, you know, you really, you kind of are a little naive of how good you have to be in terms of to break into the, into the market. You know, you can't just crudely draw some spaceship and then hope they're going to like it. It's, it's a whole other bunch of things to do with you know, color composition, all sorts of stuff that they saw and we didn't at the time. You know, but they gave us some practical advice on what we could do to fix our work and uh, we went away and, and did it. And I guess that leads on to going from there down to Brighton, which was our first exhibition in the science fiction world. And this one agency that had led us there we uh, still didn't take us on, and it wasn't because we weren't good enough. In fact, they were horrified that we'd improved so much within the space of three months. I think we put together something like about another six or seven paintings. But the leap from seeing some of their artists at the time, we, we, they'd actually showed us some of their professional artists' work. And I learned so much by just looking at an original painting, not a book cover, there's something very vastly different from seeing a little tiny print to a full-sized rendering, you know, however it's done, acrylics, oil, airbrush, watercolor, whatever. You sort of, you just take it in more, and we went back just loaded with, you know, this knowledge and then redid a new portfolio and then went back down to Brighton and, and hung some work there. And, and did you uh, get, get some nibbles from that? Oh, yeah. No, that was literally the start of our career right away. In fact, it was... I look back after 20 years, and, and even though I was kind of bitter that the agency didn't take us on because of political nonsense that was going on with them, you know, I, I kind of felt that some of the artists were a little uh, perturbed that we, would, we wanted to join them, and probably fearful as well, and I understand that totally. I don't even have anything bad to say about them because of that. It's human nature to fear somebody, the new kid on the block. You know, how you do is all the time. You 
You know, even now when I go to conventions, I see some new guy and he's doing something totally different to the way you'd think about it. And you're like, wow, wow, why, my God. I would never think of doing it like, like that. But, it, you know, I was that kid at the time and uh, probably putting the bejeevers of some of the older established artists who, you know, they're smart guys. They see the writing on the wall. Eventually you're going to, you may take over and kick them out of the business. That's just the way it is with anything, anything to do with art, writing, literature, anything. Um, you know, and they were protecting their turf, their territory, uh, in a way. Uh, so they didn't take us on, but um, we we got more determined, and we started said, you know, I will do this myself. You know, I'll not have an agent. I won't pay a rep a fee, and I'll go find where I can send my artwork to. And once we went to Brighton, the publishers came to us. I mean, it was you know, it was like a gold mine, it was treasure trove of uh, everybody was there and. They saw our work, and we got a lot of requests from different companies, mostly from America, oddly enough, which uh, I'd never thought about. But American publishers were over in Engl- uh, England at the time, and and uh, requested our portfolio be sent to them, which was like kind of scary, but uh, incredibly exciting at the time. What kind of materials were you working in then? Oh, well, back then I used um, acrylic, and I was airbrushing a lot. Uh, the first kind of paintings that we did. I just found it a lot more practical to to get through a painting uh, fast because you know, there's no real drying time rate with it. And uh, I really wanted smooth finishes. Uh, I mean, the illustrators that I was influenced at the time in science fiction were, were all using the airbrush. I mean, that's what everybody was using back then. You know, there was no such thing as Photoshop or Painter, even the computer. So, you know, that's what we were all doing. And you know, I just joined the, the herd, as to say. Uh, it was just, and we'd also been trained on it in, in art college with uh, doing technical cutaways. That's, you know, they all were airbrushed to get those shiny, you know, surfaces and cutaways of cars, engines. It was the best way of actually producing a painting. Uh, though I didn't just, you know, use the airbrush by itself. I still understood the, the value of actually getting a real brush out and, you know, tooling up the textures and detailing it with a, an actual brush. Uh, but I was pretty good at it. I, you know, I was very uh, confident using one. I could airbrush you a tiny little eye the size of a millimeter and put a dot on it. If you looked at it through a micro, uh, you know, a microscope, literally. And uh, they were fun days, I tell you, very fun. Well, uh, once you got started, started getting contracts from America. <clears throat> How did you handle that? Did you take on a manager or an agent? No, you know, I, my first assignment came from uh, Bantam Books, which I've been working for ever since. And, and I, I kind of owe them everything, to tell you the truth. Uh, their editor at the time was uh, Lou Aronica, who was a, a wonderful guy uh, and visionary who really did a lot for science fiction, for artists, authors, uh, and publishing in general. And... Um, him and David Brin, who's a you know famous science fiction writer, and um, another uh, guy, um, boy, I can't remember his, his name escapes me. Uh, Byron Price, who unfortunately you know died, passed away a few years ago in a horrible accident. But these three guys uh, came around my work, and and they said, you know what, these guys are really good. You know, they show something a little bit different. And, you know, publishers love that. Publishers love the new guy. Even if you're not the best guy, sometimes just being the new guy can actually get you in. Anyway, he went back to America, and he requested that my portfolio was sent over because they were putting out some uh, new titles, and uh, he thought I'd be really good to do it. And um, the art director called me up and asked me to send uh, my portfolio. I didn't even have a, you know, a portfolio of transparencies at the time. Uh, and I had to actually go back to my old college to have the photographer help me photograph my artwork. And I sent slides. I sent like 35-millimeter slides, which, you know, when I look back at it now, was just amazingly unprofessional. But, you know, I guess the art director looked at them with a loop and went, hey, these are pretty good. <laughs> we'll use this guy. And that's how I actually got my fir- very first assignment, which was for author Daniel Keyes Moran. And the cover was called Emerald Eyes. And that was actually the very first piece I ever did professionally. 
but I never ever let on that I'd never done anything. I, I try to come off pretty cool and, you know, don't ever sound nervous. That's the one thing that I never wanted to do was sound like you don't know what you're doing. Because in this business, there's no room for you don't know what you're doing. You have to know what you're doing right out the get-go. Or they just don't call you back again. And I was determined that wasn't going to happen. Could you talk about, uh, I guess, you, you, what's your process like now? Now, And could you talk about how your process evolved? You were started out with acrylics and airbrushing, and that's somewhat passe now, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, for, for me, there's still probably guys who airbrush. But for me, it's all about using the tools to get to uh, what you want to create. It's never been about how to do it, but how it looks at the end of the day. And I only use the best stuff to get it done to get the job done. I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat of a pragmatist. I, I like to be practical about, you know, how I get there. It's never how it's done. I mean, heck, if, if I could get a better result using chalk to create exactly the look I want, I would use that. Uh, at the time, the airbrush was a means to an end only. And I have, but I get kind of bored with uh, using the, the same medium over and over again because I, I like to revolve uh, what I'm doing uh, I don't like standing still. I feel like if if you're stuck in the, if you're using the same material all the time, you're stuck in the mud, and you there's just no movement there at all. There's no room for evolving into, you know, something new. And I kind of get bored with myself after a, you know ten years of painting in this medium. I like to move on to and try something different, maybe almost as a challenge. Or, but it, but the truth is, it's really to get to that the means to an end again. Uh, but, yeah, I was using airbrush back then. Then I switched over to oil paint uh, because I found that was, a, again, it was just a medium that I'd never used, and I was able to create things in it that I just could not do in acrylic and airbrush. Um, how so and was, why? What's that, sir? How, how were you able to create these things, and, and well, why? Well, I, I did a painting in 92 called Speaking in Tongues, and at the time I was airbrushing in acrylics, and I had taken that medium just as far as it could go with uh, some of the subject matter that I was rendering. And I wanted this alien creature to have this unusual skin texture in parts of its, on its face. And um, so I experimented a lot with uh, dripping various chemicals on top of oils to get a reaction. Uh, back then, it was all about experimentation and trying new techniques to get, you know, what I wanted to achieve. And I found that just having a very thin glaze of oil paint and throwing down different types of chemicals that would uh, break apart the oil and give me this kind of cracking texture that was just impossible to paint. You could spend a lifetime trying to paint uh, the kind of clarity and accuracy that just literally splashing uh, different chemicals denatured alcohol or even just regular turpentine onto it will crack it and break it apart, and you'll get these wonderful, bizarre shapes happening. And, um, you know, so I went, that's why I started using oil paint, literally, because it, for that one technique, and, you know, started self-teaching myself how to paint in oils, which is very frustrating, but then found, you know, the, the true beauty of, you know, what you could actually do with it. Uh, but I didn't entirely give up my airbrush and acrylic, you know, techniques just, you know, right overnight. I was still kind of incorporating the two together. And then I finally got tired of breathing in airbrush fumes and decided it wasn't really that healthy. So I decided, you know, just put them away, put the airbrush away, and I would blend out the, uh, uh, the glows and the blendings with oil paint rather than with the airbrush. And I learned myself how to do that almost as effective as if it was airbrushed. In fact, I have guys sometimes look at my old paintings and they swear it was airbrushed, but it's not. It's actually just very, very delicately blended out with a large, flat, dry brush. Very time-consuming, though. That's the problem. That's the only thing. And in book covers, you know, time-consuming isn't really a good thing at all, especially when you're working against the clock. How much of a advance do you get? You know, because presumably you want to take time to read the book, and then you need to have this cover done before the some you know 
presumed deadline. When you, much, mean, when you say advanced, do you mean uh, monetary advance? No, no, I'm talking about how much time do they give you? I mean, do they oh. give you the thing a month in advance and you have a lot of time to read and relax and think about what you want to do? And You know, uh, the deadlines are all different. I mean, back in the old days, you know, 15 years ago, there was a lot more time. Uh, there was a lot less people involved, primarily because there was no such thing as the computer, and nobody could mess around with your artwork once it was handed in. I mean, you just don't turn around to a person and say, you know, I don't really like that coloring of the whole painting there. Could you repaint it? There just wasn't time. They generally accepted it, and, you know, everybody was happy anyway. But um, and in terms of advance, it uh, usually goes from anywhere from a couple of days which is the extreme which I've worked under, to a few months. But, you know, you've got to realize you've got sometimes multiple jobs in the hopper at the same time. So it's up to you in order to schedule yourself enough time to finish all of those jobs over the time. Or, you know, but sometimes you run over the deadline a little bit. But I like to try to think of myself as being as professional as I can. And I, I don't think I've never been late with a project. Uh, unless I was sick. Uh, and even then, I, I pretty much worked when I was practically felt like I was dying. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, you can actually get very little time to do a project. And that's up to you to say whether you want to take it on or not. And all you can get a month to three months. Now, so, when you're taking on projects, they're handing you a book. Are they saying, I want the, the three bug eyed aliens on the cover? In, in a flying saucer, or are they just saying, do me a cover? You know, everyone's different. Some publishers throw a manuscript at you and say, you know, come up with, with concepts and ideas for what you think this cover will, will, uh, could be. Other publishers really have a firm image in their head, and their process has gone through multiple editorial meetings with their art director, and their art directors had to come up with the idea, and then they're hiring me to you know, put my input and, and, and my imagination. Uh, for example, if, you know, I might get a suggestion where we want a, a figure with a, a landscape in the background and a beautiful city back there and maybe some spaceships flying around it. And, and that's just a generalized idea. Sometimes they can give you a pretty detailed cover where the art director has actually put the thing together themselves and said, we want you to basically copy this perfectly. You know, because these are photographs that I, I found, and, you know, you have to change this and change that so we don't get done with the copyright. Um, you know, that's happened quite a few times. But I like the part where I get to read the book, and I put my own influence on that. I usually, you know, don't care for copying of somebody else's ideas. Why hire me? You know, there's plenty of guys can can render. But I'm a science fiction guy, and I like to read what the narrative is and then put my spin on that of how I think it should be sold. That's why I hire you. But anyway, yeah, I mean, but it, it works out many different ways like that. Could you talk about, a, a, we're into the 90s now, so you're starting to see, you know, the slow creeping in of computers. What was yeah. your first reaction to computer art? Um, you know, a lot of illustrators were using uh, pre-existing programs to create their artwork. I don't know whether it was just out of the fascination for what a, you know, pushing a button and the landscape was rendered for you in Poser or Painter or whatever. I forget what the programs were uh, at the time. But uh, a lot of that sort of really put a big disdain on art directors' you know, minds when they were doing that. They, because they weren't using their own creative abilities. They were allowing the computer to dictate to them what the artwork would end up looking like. Uh, and I just found it despicable. I hated it. I hated a lot of the stuff in the early days. It, it looked like cheap video art to me. Uh, it had no soul. Everything was stiff. Um, almost it wasn't the person who was using it. it was, he was allowing the computer to influence him and not the other way around. Uh, so I really was repellent against that in the beginning. I was. Besides, I was really into doing oil paintings at the time. I loved it. it the marketplace was very different. There was very little interference from uh, inside. You know, the publishing houses. They they generally let you do what you do. Um, 
probably because there was a lot more books back then, and certainly the way things have changed over the the decades. You know, publishing is is a lot less publishing right now, and unfortunately, when things get less, people get afraid, and fear creates control, and that's where we're at today. But I don't want to jump that far ahead of myself right now. But uh, you know, but back then. I was just really into painting in oils. I love painting in oils. I was influenced by a number of uh, really fine American illustrators when I came over here. When was that? And how did you do that? Uh, I moved over in 1992, I think, or 1990, something like that. No, 89, sorry. 89. God, I can't remember. But I think it was 89. And... Uh, anyway, uh, I married an American over here. I met her at a science fiction convention in New Orleans, and uh, I wasn't expecting it. I tell you, that was something that I hadn't even thought about, you know, falling in love with someone, and or at least getting married early in, you know, early on in my career. But, you know, I almost seemed to have no control over my feelings <laughs> for this person, so it's the way it worked out, you know, and it was wonderful, it, it, and it still is. Um, but that's why I moved over here. Now, when you moved over here, you, you came to a very different kind of country. Oh, and, hell yeah. And one of the things that you lost was, you know, the, the safety net of the, the dole and, and of health benefits. Well, I never went on the dole. Uh, no, I, I, I understand uh, that, but that's a safety net that you yeah. really don't have here. So uh, my, my question is, as you were working uh, mostly for Random House, I guess, did, did you were you like an employee or a contractor? Did you have to pay your own way for the health benefits, and uh, or were you just hired on, take a salary? Well, I had actually worked for a, a while in England for a couple of years before I moved over here, and I was actually working for a, quite a number of publishing houses, uh, both for um, you know I was working for Warner Books, uh, Ballantine, uh, you know a whole slew of, of publishers as well as in England. And I didn't really give much thought to health insurance. I, I really didn't care about anything. I was, I was pretty healthy. I didn't care about anything like that. I mean, granted, I was probably naive about the way this country works. Certainly, certainly was anyway. And uh, I just came over uh, because of, you know, my wife. And I sort of have learned the way things are now over here, over the years of living here. Uh, compared to the way they are in England. And some's good, some's bad, you know, certainly different. But at the time, I, I didn't have any other concerns than just doing my work. I mean, I was, you know, a fairly young guy, and that's all I wanted to do was just to prove myself. I mean, but it was, it was horrifying, absolutely, truly horrifying to leave my country, leave my whole family behind, leave my twin brother, uh, who would work together as partners for, for years, and uh, painted on the same paintings. And no, you know, he was no longer there, and I was on my own, and it was pretty scary. I'm, I've got to tell you, it was, but also incredibly exhilarating too. I mean, out of fear, you know, your adrenaline is is just gushing, and out of fear comes really a lot of creativity. Uh, emotions always, you know, create a lot of creativity, and I certainly was on fire at the time. That's for sure. Could you talk about? Uh, Eventually, I, I presume you've started using computers in some in some way. Is that the case, or could you talk about how you started to when you let that the first cracks began? Yeah, you know, uh, I saw the way things were going uh, ten years before everything changed over. I could just see more and more people getting involved in the creative process of doing a book cover, for at least at Random House. Because uh, predominantly, that was the company that sort of made me decide to change over to doing digital work. Uh, and I, I guess this, was go, this goes back about six, seven years ago, and I really kind of dabbled with it a little bit. I think they were up to Photoshop 3, something like that. Oh, I, I can't remember which number of Photoshop they were up to, or Painter. I'm not even sure what Painter existed back at that point. I don't think it did. But... Um, I had done a series of mystery covers. I was given a series of mystery, mystery covers, and they wanted these quirky little cartoon characters done uh, kind of airbrushy. And I didn't work in the airbrush anymore. I just really didn't want to go back. I hate going back always to something that, you know, I'd given up. 
and um, so I decided to try the computer, and and that's literally where I got my start. I just started using Photoshop. My wife showed me how to use Photoshop, uh, the beauty of layers and some of the tools, and I drew the characters down. I scanned them in, and then I just used the airbrush tool in Photoshop to render it as if I was actually airbrushing. And, and found it extremely frustrating. There was just some things I just didn't have a clue how to do that are now I look back and I laugh thinking, my God, how, how stupid I was back then to do it that way. But, you know, it's like anything. You, you know, you learn, there's a learning process. But I struggled through them, and uh, they were actually pretty successful. And I think I did about six, six of these things. These were for these kind of quirky little cozy mystery covers, not even science fiction. So I didn't even start using the computer and digital for science fiction art. It was there for these mystery jobs because they wanted them also very realistic, too. And it was something I just really didn't want to paint. I had no love of painting these things whatsoever, so I guess doing them in the computer, it, it didn't bother me in the least. Uh, but I could see the value of uh, some of the techniques that I was using and some of the advantages that the digital uh, stuff had that I just didn't have with airbrushing. It took actually a lot less time to do, and uh, especially with layering the way Photoshop works, you, you can make mistakes. You've got that advantage of doing something wrong and not having to worry about starting all over again, or it's, there's not much pain involved in making mistakes. So, uh, you know, I learned pretty quickly on it, and I kept, cre you know, I was still doing my old paintings, still doing my, my covers uh, the traditional way. Uh, but every now and again, a job would come up, and I would, oh, you know what, I might do that on the computer. That just sounds like a, a digital piece for me, not, a, not something I'd actually really want to paint. Uh, so slowly but surely, it just crept into my life, and I just saw more and more involvement in uh, my own evolution as an artist by using it. It was just things that changed me, that I think differently when I do something digitally than I do something in regular traditional medium, um, you know, and, and that was predominantly why I started uh, using digital and why. It was just another, it was another tool, it was another means to an end, and it was, a, in many ways, it was a better means to an end for what I wanted my artwork to look like on the book covers. I mean, you've got to remember, what I'm doing a cover, I'm not hired to paint a pretty painting for myself. I'm hired to illustrate a product for a client, and now the digital way for a lot of covers that I have done just seems to be the best way to get to that final product, which is a, you know, a beautiful cover. Could you talk about um, how do they track do they track the sales of the books with your covers? I mean, getting jobs, how do you keep getting jobs? And you talked about the new kid on the block pushing out the, the uh, high, the yeah. well-honed hand. You are now the well-honed hand. Are there any new kids who are interesting to you and maybe oh, put sure. a little fear in you? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I mean, new people come in all the time and they bring a new excitement and they change the field. They change the look of it. And uh, um, Who's doing that right now? Well, I, I think John Foster is an illustrator who's really changed the dynamics and the look of the, the field. Uh, you know, people do get bored. I mean, they do get tired of seeing the same things repeated over and over again. And and it only takes a couple of guys to come in with new views and new perceptions of the way they see uh, the the book. And and it can literally change overnight, literally. And, and I think that's actually what happened in this field. Uh, a lot of uh, art directors... With, with the computer, a lot of art directors have had the advantage of, of finding more and different artists. Before, they only had the conventions to rely on to go and see, you know, the established artist. And, uh, and we were a pretty close-knit community. Uh, and, you know, even though we had, there was many artists with very different styles in the field, but we all came up on the convention scene. Now, you've got almost the entire world at your fingertips. So you can be hiring some guy from Belgium, from Russia, from Australia, anywhere in the world because of the computer. Yeah, hell, they just have to send you a digital file uh, and email it to you or whatever. 
on a, downloaded on your server, and there you go. And they don't even need to have a painting stuck in their office anymore. Though there are still art directors who still like, you know, actual painting paintings. But there's a lot who really don't. <laughs> well, they find the computer much more e- easygoing for them. They don't have to stack them up in their office. Uh, I mean, I would go into an art director's office, and they would have you know, these six-foot-by-three-foot paintings just completely taking up every inch of space in their office, and they wouldn't even have anywhere to work because they didn't have anywhere else to put them. And that, you know, the computer really changed all of that. Uh, but, you know, along with the, with the computer, developed a whole new bunch of artists, too, a new bunch of talent that could use the medium. But I, I found a lot of these guys were using the medium the way that they painted, too. They weren't relying on, uh, you know, programs to create their artwork, you know, to create a landscape, a mountain, or a spaceship, or whatever. They were rendering it themselves the way they painted it, which is the way I actually do it. I, you know, I don't rely on any pro- 3D software, uh, even though some of my stuff, like you'd, I would swear even by my standards, it looks like I did it in a 3D uh, program, but it's not. It's just all purely just painted in, in Painter or Photoshop. Uh, yeah, but new guys, you know, they bring their own little excitement. Um, John Foster, let me think of some of the guys' names. I'm horrible with people's names, by the way. You got to, I do apologize for that. Um, oh, you know, I, I can't even think of any other guys. But I know I, I like John Foster's work a lot. Uh, so people like him have, have certainly changed the field. I'm and ten years from now, you know. There'll be new, another new kid on the block. I think John, though, has been around for years. He's been around for about 10 years or something, at least when I was first aware of him. Uh, but I knew when he entered the field that he was really going to do something major in it. You can always tell. You know, a good artist can always tell another good artist and who was going to, you know, do something pretty big. And I think he did and, and still does. Could you talk about uh, what you see as the next uh technique, technology that you think you're going to have to learn in order to stay, oh, yeah. you stay know, ahead? I, I haven't a clue. I, I, the one thing that I know about human beings is nobody can predict the future. I mean, I would never have predicted that I'd be using Photoshop right now. When I first entered this field and I was airbrushing, there's no way on earth you could have predicted that I'd be painting in pixels. I still don't even understand it myself when I do it. I, I sometimes look at my finished results, and I try to consciously think about how I just scientifically created a painting by using nothing but a, a plastic pen touching another plastic tablet, and a, and a line of color appears on a, on a monitor. And within a, a couple of days or a, a couple of weeks, you have a completely painted image, as if you painted it in oil paint. It's just amazing to me. So I have no clue what the next tool will be for, for rendering art. I have no idea. But you know what? I might be using it. I'm pretty sure I would because I really get excited about new, new things to create art. I do. Who knows? Maybe we'll hook up uh, things to our brains and we'll just mentally create the art the way we see it. Hell, I might actually finally get to do the things that are in my head and not struggle through them so much. What what kind of computer and software are you using now to create your work? Oh, I use a G5 uh, Macintosh, a dual processor, and I use Photoshop, CS3, Painter, whatever the latest version is, I can't remember. Um, and that's pretty much it. But most of the time, I, I kind of stick with Photoshop. It, it, it just does it for me. I like the interface. I still don't like the interface for Painter. It's a little bit of a mess. Uh, wish they'd actually get that in some kind of logical order, so that you don't have a you know a million it, you know little boxes appearing on your monitor there while you're trying to paint around your painting. Uh, so I, I still prefer Photoshop. Uh, you know, I import my own brushes, my own textures. I have like a little army of texture brushes that I use to just create different strokes. Because now you know you're thinking differently. You know, before you. Sometimes you didn't really have to consciously think about how you were going to render a, a piece of wood. Now you kind of go into your little uh, file of texture brushes and pull out a texture brush that, you know, might give you a stroke that looks like bark once you've built up the color and the layers and what have you. Uh, but that's fine. You know, that's okay. I, I really like that. I, I think I've got, you know, more of an 
a repertoire of tools now with my hand than just a few bristle brushes and uh, small brushes to create paintings. Uh, it's more, you know, you can become more versatile. And especially with uh, filters, uh, one of the beauties of, of the digital stuff is that I do stuff now that I just could not paint or, or render in any other medium other than digital. Uh, and that's what excites me, is that I'm doing something new that even I don't see in my head sometimes. It's, it's phenomenal. It is. So the easels are dry and lonely. Uh, yeah, they have been for a couple of years now, even though I get tremendously guilty about it. Uh, I'm a very guilty person to start with. And I look back at my old paintings with a sense of pride and guilt that I'm still not doing it, oddly enough. I still haven't got over that threshold of, of accepting the fact that I do stuff digitally. Because in some crazy, stupid way, I think it's almost like cheating. But a lot of people said that of the airbrush, uh, you know, back in the 60s, that because you weren't painting with a brush, you were spraying the paint on that you were cheating back then. But you know what? Anybody who has a, if you've never used an airbrush and you go and try using an airbrush, you know once you master it, that is not cheating. It takes a heck of a lot of skill to master one of those uh, babies. And I think it's the same with a computer, too. You know, to create a a beautiful piece of artwork, uh, it takes skill. It takes knowledge of color, of composition, drawing, all your artistic abilities, you know, uh, and that the computer for me, it's just another, it's just another tool. It's another brush just to get me to that final result. We've been speaking with Stephen Yule. He's a science fiction illustrator and artist. Thank you for joining me, Stephen. Oh, you're welcome. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.